about 30 seconds left, but uh, we'll get everybody set down. You gonna take my picture, Gladys? What's going on? Oh no, that's not a phone. I thought it was a phone in your hand. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Well, uh, <clears throat> what was that? Not really, but I mean, I guess I'm getting a video. I'm on video, so whatever. And the embarrassment's already out there. All right. Um, we're going to be back in the book of Psalms today, and so we're going to get started in just a moment. I'd like to open our time in prayer uh, and just lift this up to the Lord before we look at his word. So if you join me in praying this morning, that's where we'll begin. Lord, I come to you, and I want to thank you and praise you for your goodness, for your love, for your mercy, for your justice. God, you are a holy and perfect God that, honestly, we can't fully comprehend. And yet today, I pray that as we look at your word, as we read these words in Psalm 101, God, that you would not only teach us about who you are, but Lord, you'd also teach us how to live in light of that. God, help us to live a life of integrity before you and before the world around us as we go through the life that you have planned out for us. God, help us to trust you and help us to look to your character uh, throughout the hard times, through the good times, uh, through the in-between times. Lord, I pray for that. God, I pray today that you would just allow your word to speak to our hearts and to our minds and just allow us to be changed, renewed, uh, to be just led to walk in a way that is blameless, as this psalm will tell us. Help us to do that. We need your strength. We need your help. Help us to trust you to help us in all of these things. And help today, this, the, as your word goes forward, for it to be your word and not mine. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> all right, to start with, uh, just a little bit of uh, uh, last-minute change. So this has been bothering me for a couple days. And I know this is weird, and some of you are going to think I'm the strangest person on the planet. And that's okay. But I gave this sermon a title earlier in the week, which was Integral Integrity, which is okay. I like alliteration, right? I like alliteration. That's one of my weaknesses, actually, and that's where this came from. I was, it was a weakness. So I, I, integral integrity means whole, complete integrity. All right, but then I realized that I was preaching from Psalm 101, and it makes a whole lot more sense to call this sermon Integrity 101. So that's what we're going to rename it. So if you want to scratch it off on your notes, feel free, right? Integrity 101, it'll make me feel better. Um, I know it doesn't matter because this is not the part that matters. The title isn't what matters because that's just my feeble attempt to make something creative. But God's word is what matters. But because I just want to feel better, we're putting out Integrity 101. And I think we're going to try to... Oh, look at that. It's already changed on the screen and everything. Thank you, Brooke. Okay. So we are in Psalm 101, obviously. And we're going to talk about integrity. Integrity 101, this psalm is going to be uh, showing us foundational truths about what it means to live a life of integrity. And so far in the book of Psalms, before we even get to the specifics of this, what we've kind of seen as we've been going through the summer in the Psalms, is we've seen that the Psalms really are a collection of prayer songs that were collected to bring hope to people who were in exile, specifically the Israelites, uh, as they were exiled and looking forward to coming back and being blessed again by Yahweh. And we've seen a lot of times then out of this, this idea of hope, comes this idea through many of the Psalms that talk about 
an encouragement for us to live blessed lives. And we've looked at that word blessed. We've looked at that word several times. And it means to be happy, to be joyful, to be congratulated. Uh, I, I like what I heard one time to be fulfilled. It's kind of the, that idea of fulfillment, true happiness, true joy, true fulfillment, true congratulations that comes from God. And, and so, so many times throughout this book, we've talked about that, and it's going to keep popping up. Now, this psalm doesn't specifically talk about blessed is the such and such, but the understanding is still underneath this, that, that the person of integrity will be blessed. And so we're going to look at that today. And so, so far, we've looked at this idea, this book is a book of hope, and it's a book of encouragement to live a blessed life. And so we're going to continue to look at that today and throughout the rest of the summer. But as I said, this one is going to be specifically about the word that I chose, integrity. Uh, and we're going to talk about what that word means, especially biblically, as we go through Psalm 101. And uh, we will read that in just a moment. Um, but integrity is talked about a lot. Uh, you might hear it on the news. You might hear it, especially when we're coming up onto an election year. Uh, a lot of talk about integrity. Who has more integrity than someone else? And oftentimes in the business world, uh, it's it's very valuable to have someone, and we would say we want a person of integrity to be running this business or to be keeping the books. Because how many times have we seen people that uh, seem to be good accountants that just run away with a bunch of money? And so integrity or personal purity, personal integrity has become really of quite valuable. And one of the reasons that things become valuable, valuable, by the way, is because they're rare. And unfortunately, I believe in our world, we are seeing that although integrity might be talked about a whole lot, it is pretty rare to see integrity in this world. And we see that even why, if you think about political campaigns, and I'm not a big politics person, but I think about it every time there's a, there's a election coming up and you see all these commercials that show up on the TV or other places on social media or whatever. Most of those advertisements for these political candidates are not saying, hey, this is why I should be elected because I do this good thing and I do that good thing and I believe in this and this is my position. Most of them are smear campaigns. And you know what I mean by that? What will happen is one candidate will come out and say, well, so-and-so did this and they're a bad person, so don't vote for them. Then the other person will be like, well, oh, yeah, well, maybe I did this, but they did this. It's even worse, so don't vote for them. And many times it becomes a popularity contest about who has more integrity than the other. Uh, and you can see pretty clearly, even by the way that they're trying to attack each other, that neither of them really might have the best integrity. And I'm not trying to point out any specific candidate or any specific person, but I am saying a lot of times we see this in the public sphere. We see this understanding that integrity is important and yet it is hard to find. And the, I remember, uh, this is a more silly illustration, I remember I worked at a summer camp for several years, uh, Circle C Ranch, many of you know that, but it's where I met my wife and uh, that's a plug for Circle C, so if anybody from there is watching, there you go. Uh, but uh, we do love that camp, but uh, I, I remember... Uh, one year I was the team leader of one of the teams. They have two teams that compete through the week. And as the team leader, we decided we want to do something really, really fun. So me and the other team leader decided to stage a fake uh, presidential campaign that we were both going to be different parties. So one was going to be the Clanton party, one was going to be the Dalton party, and we were going to battle and debate all week long on who would be elected president. Uh, and I, re- I remember that the kids really wanted the other guy because he told them that what he was going to do is outlaw school and remove homework. So, of course, the kids wanted him. 
Uh, and uh, I tried to do lots of things to convince them that they wanted to vote for me instead. It didn't work. So what I ended up doing was drawing a big stick figure on a big poster board, and then I glued a Fundip container that was ripped open, and I showed it to the kids and said, look, my, can, my, my opponent is addicted to Fundip. And that was the big deal. And I made a big deal about it. And I tried to smear him. It didn't work, by the way. Because kids like fun dip. Go to go figure. So it didn't matter. Um, but but that was silly. But yet, it kind of just reminded me as I was thinking about this this week of sometimes it's just as silly even in this world that people are always trying to attack each other's integrity. And maybe that's because there's not much out there. Or maybe it's just because we understand how important it is. Many times people don't care so much about positions as much as they do about character, which I'm not saying is right or wrong. I'm just saying that, especially when we talk about smear campaigns, it doesn't really make sense. You don't vote for somebody necessarily based on whether or not they um, punched somebody in the lunchroom when they were 12 years old. Um, You elect them because they're going to lead well. But anyway, we're not going to go on to that. So why do I even bring up politics? Well, here's why I bring up politics. Because actually, Psalm 101 has become known kind of as a coronation psalm. Many, many people believe that this was, uh, that David, this is David's commitment as he comes to the throne, or, or it's something that he is communicating to other kings that will go behind him. This is the way that you be a good king. And it's interesting, as David says, this is how you become a good king, he doesn't talk about all the specifics and, and all of all the different qualities you need to have as far as if you can lead well or if you're a strong uh, warrior. But when he talks about how to be a good king, to be it's to be a king of integrity, to be a person of integrity. That's what David's going to talk about here in Psalm 101. David saw the importance of living with integrity as defined by God as a leader of God's people. In fact, David saw that the integral part of his life which makes it complete and worthwhile, is indeed his integrity. And the same is true for us. So I don't want to just isolate this down as that Psalm 101 is only for people who are going to be leaders or kings. That would be pretty easy then to just take this and say, well, it doesn't apply to any of us, because I don't know any of you who are running for political office or are going to be uh, crowned as king any day soon. However, the truth of the matter is, in Psalm 101, we're going to see that this coronation psalm applies to all of us as sons of God. And I want to reference back to something that Pastor Justin talked about last week. It was not necessarily one of his absolute main points, but it was in there. And he talked about how we are all sons of God. Whether you're a man or a woman, you are a son of God in the sense that we are co-heirs with Christ. We are God's son in the fact that we are heirs. And he talked about the fact that all of us, through Jesus, through his sacrifice, through everything he did for us, he is the Son of God, the ultimate ruler. And so therefore, as we follow him, we become co-heirs with Jesus, and we become, in a sense, little rulers through him. And so I can see here very clearly in Psalm 101 that this is not just to people who are going to be in leadership, but this is to all of us who are co-heirs with Christ, who are indeed little rulers as we go forward in this world. Remember, this is the essence of being made in the image of God. We did some devotionals on that a few, well, probably a month ago now. Uh, that being in the image of God is ruling God's creation the way that he created it to be. And so, when we just about to read Psalm 101 and then we'll break it down, it doesn't just apply to a certain few, it applies to all of us. And it says, this is what integrity is. 
It's not defined by one political party or another political party. It's not defined by what we, what we see as in smear campaigns. But integrity is defined by God. And it's defined by God here as David talks about what his kingship will look like, what the kings should do, and also then by extension how we should live. And that's where we're going to be going as we look at Psalm 101. But let's go ahead and read it. We already read it once this morning, but I will read it one more time as we listen to what David has to say about this idea of integrity. A Psalm of David. I will sing of the steadfast love and I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set any I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor, secretly I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. And he who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord." So Psalm 101, David takes these nine verses, or I'm sorry, eight verses, and talks about integrity. Talks about being blameless, what it looks like to live a life of integrity. And so the main idea we're going to look at today is that living with integrity is reflecting God's integrity. We don't just live lives of integrity in a vacuum. Like we just decide what integrity is. That's the way the world works. That's the way politics works. One one candidate or another will decide what they think integrity is. But there is a truth and a standard of integrity, and that is defined by God. And it's reflecting his character. It's by looking to God and seeing who he is that that should then inform us on how we should live. Because we are called to live like God. We can't do it in our own strength. We are sinners and have sinful natures, but yet we are meant to try to reflect God the best we can. The New Testament is full of examples of how we need to be living in a way that is making us more and more like Jesus. And it's clear throughout the Old Testament as well that God wants those who will reflect him in the world around us. So how do we reflect God's integrity? We reflect God's integrity through three different types of integrity, what we're going to talk about today. The first one is I'm calling positional integrity. The first way that we reflect God's integrity is positional integrity. Uh, and this is going to that same idea that we just talked about, that integrity is based on God's character. Integrity is based on God's character. And where do I get this from in Psalm 101? Where right where David starts, it's interesting. He doesn't start with a list of do's and don'ts. But where does David start? He says, I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. David starts this psalm with praise. Before he gets to what integrity looks like or how he's going to live his life or, or be a good king, be, an, uh, be uh, in, um, king of integrity, before he gets to any of that, he takes time to praise God. And he praises God for two specific things here. Steadfast love, that's hesed, that's what we've talked about. Pastor Justin has done uh, devotion on that. This, this never-changing, this covenantal love that God has for us, this loving kindness, we see that this is part of it. He's got steadfast love for us, love that doesn't change. 
But then not only love, and that also sometimes is translated or looked at as mercy, that mercy is kind of inside the steadfast love, merciful love that forgives. And that is beautiful. But the other thing that David talks about is not only steadfast love, but also justice. God does what is right. God is a God of love and mercy, and God is also a God of justice that does what is right, that always does what is right, even if that means punishing evil. And so too many times we have this view of God that he's one or the other. He's either a God who punishes evil and is a just God, or he's a God who's one of forgiveness and mercy and just and flowing love. And the thing is, both of them are true. We can't just isolate one or the other. I think that God is a God of justice who's going to judge people, or God is a God of love who's going to forgive people. He actually does both. Now, it's very hard for us to understand this because we are just humans. But God can be full of steadfast love while at the same time full of justice to do what is right by any means necessary. These are qualities that always have defined the character of God. Going back in Psalms, in the Psalms, Psalm 89, I want to move back there. We have not preached on this one, I don't believe. But it is a verse I want to reflect on. As this has already been talked about, and this is not a psalm by David, so this is uh, most likely maybe by Ethan, uh, but it could be any other writer, but it's most likely not David. And what it says here uh, in Psalm 89.14 is this, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Again, already in the Psalms earlier here, we've seen that God's character is defined as righteousness and justice, that he rules with righteousness and justice, and also has steadfast love and faithfulness. God is perfectly able to balance both of these things in perfect unity. How it works? I don't know. It's hard for me to show mercy and justice at the same time sometimes. But God has and continues to do so. In fact, the greatest example of God being perfectly merciful and perfectly just is Jesus. The, the fact that Jesus came to the earth. The fact that Jesus came as the Savior of the world. Remember, Justin also talked about recently that all the scripture needs to point to Jesus. All the Psalms point to Jesus. And so, so does this one. And we think about God's perfect, uh, his perfect steadfast love and justice colliding and we see it happen in the person of jesus and the work that he did see jesus came to the world came to this earth to live a perfect life that none of us could live then die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin to appease god's wrath for sin because god had to punish sin because he's just right so he had to punish sin he wasn't going to let it go but he also wanted to forgive us and to show us his love and kindness and grace And so how did that work? Jesus came, died for us so that the justice of God would be paid, but then we would be forgiven by his death and then his resurrection so that now there is both forgiveness and love and mercy and justice all working together through the person of Jesus. That is the truth of scripture. That is the truth of the gospel. That is what we need to understand as we think about God's character. And so therefore, if God's character is full of loving kindness and justice, then our character, our integrity should reflect that. We should also be people of mercy and love and also justice. That those things are important. 
And that's what we're going to continue to look at. Spent too much time on this first point. But, so we go on in verses 1 and 2, and what does David go on to say? After praising God for his steadfast love and justice, he says, I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. So integrity is based on God's character. That's what we just looked at. But integrity is being careful to live blameless lives. This word ponder, many times we just automatically think that this is just talking about thinking. Um, That's part of it. But it's thinking that leads to action. That's what this word is all about when he says, I will ponder. So I will be careful to observe. I will think about and live it out. I will ponder the way that is blameless. I will live a blameless life. So the word blameless here, and then later on we're going to see I will walk with integrity. These two words are, are, are related. These two words are basically saying the same thing. Blamelessness and integrity go together. And so what David is saying is we need to be careful, just like he needs to be careful, to live a blameless or life, a blameless life, a life of integrity. And really what these words mean, it's wholeness of heart or singleness of mind. It's, it's the opposite of what we talked about in James couple months ago about the double-minded man. Uh, This is a person who is single-minded. This is a person who is wholeheartedly following God. That is integrity. And so he says, I'll ponder the way that is blameless. I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. So he says that he needs to live a blameless life, to be careful, to ponder a blameless life. Reflecting God's character is living blamelessly. So what we just, wholeness of heart, singleness of mind, but reflecting God's character in being in a man or a woman of integrity is going to be living blamelessly. And how do we live blamelessly? Well, we follow God's example. And where do we get that? Let's go to another passage in the Old Testament that many of you have heard before. Micah 6, eight. Micah 6, eight says this. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The things that are told to us here in Micah 6, 8 of how we should live reflect who God is. Did you notice it? He says, he has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice and to love kindness or to love mercy, however your translation might say that. And then to walk humbly with our God. That is integrity. That is our definition of integrity if I'm going to give you one. If somebody asks me, what is integrity? Micah 6, 8. It is walking humbly with God as we show justice and mercy in our lives. And as I said, we won't perfectly be able to do this, but we should be striving to be most like, as most like him as we possibly can. So we need to be careful to live blameless lives that look like this. And finally, in this first couple verses, David says, Integrity only comes from God and his presence. Integrity only comes from God and his presence. This is seen in this little little phrase that comes right in the middle of this. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? He understands that he needs God's help in this. He cannot do this in his own strength. He cannot do this by himself, but he needs God's presence to be with him. The only, the blamelessness and integrity does not come by us trying harder to be better people. Uh, Integrity does not come by us just doing our very best and working our hardest to be good people. Now, it's good to try hard to please God, but not if that's what we think is going to get us where we need to go. We need the presence of God if we want to have a life of integrity. That's why it's so rare to see in this world around us. Because 
and why it can be defined in so many different ways in the world around us. Because the only way to have true integrity is to find it in and through Jesus, in and through God, through Jesus Christ, who he sent as the Savior of the world. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. What do we see there? We see that blamelessness uh, comes from God. May the God of peace sanctify you completely, to make you holy, to set you apart. God does that. And it says their ways will be blameless. And then in verse 24, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So I want to just take a second now to take a little bit of a detour to make sure we understand that the rest of this sermon and what we've been saying, I am not trying to preach to you today that as we go to God's word, if you obey A, B, and C and don't do uh, D, E, and F, whatever that might be, if we can just do that, then we'll be people of integrity. That we can be strong enough and brave enough and good enough to be able to live a life of integrity because we can't. In and of ourselves, we cannot do it without God, without Jesus being the one who is sanctifying us through, that God is sanctifying us through the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is faithful and he is working within us if we are believers, if we are followers in Jesus. And so before we go any further, if you want to be a person of integrity, you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to realize what he did and who he is and everything that is about him. And you need to turn away from the life that you're living and turn towards him in faith. And when you do that, then you can be saved. You can have a relationship with Jesus. You can have a, re- a, a forever relationship that is eternal life that will last forever. And you can have that. And then integrity is possible because you can rely on the strength of Jesus to give you the integrity that you are called to have. And so before we go any further, I just want to make sure that it's very clear that if you want to live a life of integrity, Jesus is the only way to get to, to get eternal life. Jesus is the only way to receive blessedness. Jesus is the only way to receive anything because he is everything. And so if you want to be a person of integrity, integrity 101, a very foundation before you can go anywhere else is you need to be following Jesus. And if you are not following Jesus and you do not know him as your savior, you have not come to him and asked him to save you, to turn, to repent and to believe and to trust in him with your life, then make today the day you do that. And if you need to know more about that, then talk to someone who already knows Jesus. They will love to share with you how you can have a relationship with him that will go on forever and that will be the way to true integrity. Blameless living only comes through the power of God. But now that we've made that foundation very clear, let's move on and talk about personal integrity. So we talked about positional integrity. In other words, basically, that God has, when we become saved, God had, when we give our lives to Jesus, however you want to say it, when we get to that point, what what Jesus says, what God says is, you are made blameless. I have made you blameless. Like, in the truth of the matter is, you are blameless, you are being sanctified because I am doing the work. Uh, Romans 5 is another place you could read about this, and it's the idea of justification, that uh, because of the gospel, then we can be justified or declared innocent, declared righteous, declared blameless. God only can do that, and that's why positionally we can be given integrity that God can give. 
But then out of that should flow personal integrity. I don't think these are separate things, but I don't think they're all the same either. I think personal integrity follows positional integrity. Personal integrity is what we normally talk about when we talk about integrity. It's being pure, it's being right, it's being righteous, it's being a good person, however you want to say it. In verses 2 through 4, we see some truths that David gives us. He says, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. So what is personal integrity? How do we live personal integrity? Well, integrity involves our whole lives. David here talks about integrity of heart. Uh, Integrity of heart. It's the idea of his mind. This idea for heart is not the kidney word. Um, it's the it's more of the mind word. It's but it's what goes on. It's internal. It's all about internal here. It definitely is an internal idea. That integrity of heart means pure mind and internal integrity. And it says in my house here. He says I will live with integrity as well. This is not just about in public. This is not just when people see you that you live in integrity. But this is in his house in his private area where people can't see. And so what we see is our whole lives need to be lives of integrity. That the goodness and purity that we get from God, that we live out, is not just for when people can see. Not just on Sunday mornings when we come to church, when we're supposed to put on our best face and act like everything is okay and that we're people of integrity. But then go home for the rest of the week and while we're not here or while people aren't seeing us, we're completely opposite. This is hypocrisy. This is a double-minded person. This is the opposite of integrity, which is single-mindedness. So it needs to be our whole lives need to be found in integrity. And then some specific things of what that looks like. Well, integrity means not pursuing worthless things. Integrity means not pursuing worthless things. Here, David says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. So here's the deal with this verse many times, and even in a book I've just been reading with our vintage people, um, we uh, this verse is used to talk about watch what you look at. Don't look at things that are bad for you. I think that's a good way to look at this. But also this verse is even bigger than that. Really, in front of my eyes is this idea of being in the presence of. Don't be in the presence of worthless things. Don't allow yourself to be enveloped uh, by worthless things. That is integrity. Set my eyes is to be in the presence of. And worthless things are unprofitable things, wicked things. It's things that aren't godly. Don't be in the presence of those things. Don't look upon them. Don't engage in them. Because that is not integrity. It'll bring you down. Interestingly enough, I want to make a little bit of a a side note here. This word worthless, 18 times in the Old Testament... The word worthless is attached to, in some way, shape, or form, the word idol. Worthless idols. Worthless gods. Worthless false gods, obviously, is what we're talking about. Psalm 31.6, Psalm 96.5, I won't look at all these. Psalm 97.7 are three of those places, just in the Psalms alone. Again, that's 31.6, 96, 97.7, if you're taking notes. Worthless idols. So I find it interesting here that David talks about this and he says, I'll set nothing worthless in front of my eyes. I will not allow anything worthless to be in my presence. And I think he's getting at the idea that worthless idols are so easy to creep into our lives. You know, 
a lot of times I've heard this verse talked about, and if, if you're doing something and it doesn't directly have a specific biblical context, you know, you're, you're listening to a, a, a good song, but it doesn't say the word Jesus in it, then you shouldn't do it because it's worthless. Well, maybe, it might be, but really what it's getting to here, I believe, is worthlessness is about wickedness and idolatry. So, you will not be in the presence of things that are going to draw you away from God. That is integrity. So what could that be? Well, it could be a lot of things. But 1 John 2, 15-17 kind of tells us a few things that this could be. 1 John 2, 15-17, many of you know this verse. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Loving things in the world is idolatry. Actually, First John is a, has a lot to talk about idolatry. It's saying that the things of this world are more important than God. And I'm, I could give you a whole list. I won't, but I could. Uh, and it's, I could give you a list of even in my life, things that I know have become idols at times in my life. I've told you guys many times that I have made food an idol. Entertainment has become an idol at times in my life. And these are things that the world says, you just need to do what you feel right about. You just feel good about it, you do it. And that's this idea of the desires of the flesh. If, if it feels like I need to do it, I'm going to do it. The desires of the eyes, if I look upon something and I want it, then I'm going to go for it. And the pride of life, living this life saying that all that matters is me. These are things that we can do. We make ourselves an idol. And so when David comes back and he says this, going back to Psalm 101, when he says, I will not put anything worthless in front of my eyes, I will not allow any idolatry to become part of my life. And this makes sense for a king to say in Israel because they're surrounded by nations that have idols and false gods. And this is one thing that God is very clear on to Israel. You shall not have any other gods before me. All throughout their time, and that is one of the things that they fail in over and over and over and over again. But before we get too hard on the Israelites, we need to examine our own lives. So if you want to live a life of integrity, is there something in your life that is worthless? Is there something in your life that is drawing you away from Christ and towards the world? That's my definition of worthless things. That's how I'm going to define it. Anything that is drawing you away from Christ and towards the world is useless. It's worthless. Notice what 1 John 2 said. He said, all the world is passing away along with its desires. In other words, it just doesn't last and it's worthless. If it doesn't last, it's not worth anything. And that is what is said throughout Scripture. And so David says, I will not be in the presence of anything worthless. So my question to you is, as we live out the integrity that Christ has bought for us, have we allowed other things to crowd in and draw us away from him? And if so, we need to walk away from those. Don't be in the presence of those things. Get rid of them. Run away, whatever you need to do. Finally, in this section of verses 2 through 4, integrity shuns crooked and evil things. Here, David says a couple of things. He says, I will know nothing of evil. He talks about evil and it's a, he, or evil people and what they're doing, the things they do. And he says, it will not cling to me. So David says, I'm going to shun crooked and evil things. I'm going to get away from them. I'm going to shun them. This comes back to what we just talked about. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 through 22. We were already in 1 Thessalonians 5 earlier. But it says this, test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 through 22. The New Testament has the same idea as David talks about, I'm going to put away what is evil. I'm not, in other words, I'm not going to tolerate what is evil. Now, maybe some of us have tolerated evil in our lives. 
We have not shunned evil. We have not walked away from things that we know are wrong. And we've let it actually cling to us. David says, I'm not going to let evil things cling to me. I'm going to put them off. I'm going to throw them aside. I'm not going to be in control, controlled by them. I'm not going to let them cling. And I have, and then he goes and says, I will know nothing of evil. Notice he doesn't say, well, I'll know a little bit of evil so that I can kind of know what's, you know, I can kind of help other people. So I'm just going to do this little bit of evil. No, he says, I will know nothing of evil. This is integrity. Because God has purchased integrity for us, blamelessness for us, righteousness for us, because Jesus has bought that for us, then we should live away in a way that shuns evil and does not tolerate evil in our lives. Maybe that's through things you allow to come in. Maybe it's by things that come out. But either way, it's about our heart. It's about what's inside of us. Remember going back to an integrity of heart, the inner part. So, to be people of integrity, we will not allow evil to cling to us. Finally, in verses in verse 3b and also 5 through 8, we see this last idea then. If that's personal integrity, that it involves our whole lives, that it's staying away from worthless things, that it's not being in the presence of worthless things, and it's instead shunning evil, then what is the next part of integrity, how we reflect God's integrity? It's through relational integrity. Relational integrity. Verse 3b, uh, I hate the work of all those who fall away. <clears throat> they shall not cling to me. Moving on, verses 5 through 8. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. By the way, arrogance and pride. Remember 1 John chapter 2. Uh, I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off the evildoers from the city of the Lord. This seems intense. Kind of extreme, right? Like David's basically saying, I'm not going to put up with anybody who's going to be doing anything wrong. And actually, I'm just going to put them out. And this could be violent in some ways. I'm just going to cut them off, get rid of them, not going to have anything to do with them if they're evil. I'm only going to keep people around me that are other blameless people, which we'll get to it in a moment. So out of these verses, a couple things I want to bring out. Integrity hates the works of the unfaithful. Integrity hates the works of the unfaithful. Back in verse 3, I hate the work of those who fall away. Now listen, we don't like the word hate. Many of us don't like using it. It's a, it's a word in our house that isn't allowed to be said. But the Bible says it, and... This is how integrity works. It's hating the works of those who are unfaithful. Those who are walking away from God. It's hating those things. Not tolerating them and being okay with them and just not really worrying about them, not talking about them, just ignoring it. That's all tolerating. We need to hate it, to put it away, to not let it be around us. And part of that is by how we have relationships with people, which kind of comes to the next point. Integrity doesn't tolerate evildoers. Integrity doesn't mean or doesn't tolerate evildoers. Here in these verses, he talks about slanderers and those who are prideful, and he says, I will not endure them. He says, those who practice deceit will not dwell in my house. Those who utter lies will not continue before my eyes. He says, I will destroy the wicked in the land, cutting off the evildoers. This is about people. Many times I've heard the phrase, and you've heard it too, when it says, hate the sin, love the sinner. That is true. We need to love all people. But love doesn't mean tolerance. Love doesn't mean tolerating anything for the sake of feeling good. 
Love means pointing out the sin and trying to bring people to a point where they know Jesus. That is love. So yes, love the sinner, but don't love them by tolerating their sin and not addressing it. I'm not saying come after them hard and be like, you're an evil, rotten sinner that's going to hell this very minute unless you repent. You better do it, you rotten person. No, that's not the point. You still do it in love. But the point is just you don't tolerate their sin. You don't live with it and let it surround you. That's not integrity. Integrity says not only do you hate the works of the unfaithful, but you don't tolerate those who are doing those things. You don't tolerate their actions. You don't tolerate their their lifestyle. This is important because if we tolerate it, then they won't see that there's anything wrong with it. And if they don't see that there's anything wrong with it and they don't understand what sin is, then how are they ever going to know that they need a savior for their sin? And so we need to be very careful. We need to love people and be kind to people and treat people with respect because they're made in the image of God. But that doesn't mean we tolerate the behavior. It doesn't mean we tolerate the sin. It doesn't mean that we intentionally put ourselves in a place where we are going to be impacted by their sinful lifestyle. We don't tolerate it. Remember Psalm 1. You know, in Psalm 1, it talked about how that the, the man uh, who is blessed uh, should stay away and not sit in the seat of the... I'm going gonna, gonna to butcher this, so I'm going to go ahead and read it. Psalm 1. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. We've already seen that in the very first verse of this whole book. You don't tolerate the wicked. You don't stand in their way. You don't be with them. You don't tolerate it and follow along. That is not a life of integrity. Proverbs 13.20 says this, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Many of you have probably quoted this before. It's a truth. It's a proverb. It's wisdom. It says, if you walk with the wise, you'll probably get wiser. If you walk with fools, you'll probably become more foolish. And I've seen this in my life. Maybe you have too. As a side, as an aside just for a moment, this doesn't just mean in-person relationships. This also includes on-screen relationships, online relationships, radio relationships, and so on. What do I mean by that? I was reading a book, uh, Worldliness. Uh, it's a compilation of a bunch of authors. But it was talking about parents, how they need to guard media intake for their kids. And they said this, you wouldn't let people come into your home and hang out with your kids that are doing sinful practices right in front of them and but you will turn it on the TV for them. And it was like, it just kind of hit me, but it's more than just kids and parenting. It's our lives. I might not have relationships with people who are like deep, close relationships with people who are caught up in sin and I'm not tolerating their sin, but by what I'm letting come into my home through this square that's in front of me or through a radio or through what's on my phone online and we're letting things come and we have relationships with people who either whether they're real people online or fake people on the screen those are real relationships that can really change us whoever walks with the wise becomes wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm if you make yourself a companion of foolish things whether it's coming in or whether it's going out to them either way integrity is going to be lost and so we need to be very careful now i don't want to come across as saying you should go home and throw away your tv that is not my point please do not misunderstand me do not misunderstand me by saying that you just need to live a life of a hermit 
and never talk to anybody and never watch anything, never listen to anything. That's not the point. But my point is, are you constantly evaluating and thinking, what is coming into my home? Where am I going? What is coming into my mind? What is going to change me? And think about those things and make good, wise, godly decisions when you see that something is going to be drawing you away from Christ. Something has become worthless. And when you see that, you need to say no more. I'm not going to let it cling to me. I'm going to leave it behind. I'm not going to build a relationship with people who are evil. Again, I'm also not saying not to have friends that are not believers. We are not called to be a cult. We are called to reach out to people and so have relationships. But don't let those relationships control your life, your lives. That's the point. And finally, integrity doesn't, so it doesn't, it hates the works of the unfaithful, it doesn't tolerate evildoers, but integrity loves other people of integrity. Going back to last week, probably one of the strongest things that Pastor Justin said last week, which I just clung to all week long, was the idea that the people of God should be our delight. That we should find joy and happiness and fulfillment in the people of God. This is true here too. Integrity loves people of integrity. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. David says, not only am I going to hate the work, the evil and the sin and the evildoers, not only am I going to hate those things and put them away, but I'm going to bring people in that are faithful people, people that are also people of integrity, people that are also blameless. For us in our context, that is our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we've been made blameless and we're striving to live blameless lives together and we need one another and we come together. We need to have joy in being with other believers. That's what should make us happy and it should drive us to be here. Whether or not we have to be distant from each other or not, it should drive us together. Whether or not we can even meet in this building isn't the material. The material is one another. Find ways to be with one another, to love one another, to grow with one another to become people of integrity together. It's not about isolating yourself and just being strong enough to be a person of integrity. It's about leaning on God, leaning on Christ, knowing that it's his power that can make you uh, blameless, that's already made you blameless, and now you can live out of that blamelessness, but it's also being with other people who are pursuing on the same path so that you can grow together. This is vitally important to your life, and it's vitally important to integrity. So real quick, to sum everything up, if we are to reflect God's character through our integrity, so living with integrity is reflecting God's integrity, we live out of our our positional integrity, that God has made us blameless, we live lives of personal integrity, that we will shun evil, that we will walk away from evil, we will do what is right, we will do what is good because of what Jesus has done for us. And it's our whole life, not just what people see, but it's the inner part of us. It's the at home, it's the private, it's the public, it's all of it. And finally, we will be careful with who we hang out with, with what relationships we give priority. If we give priority to our relationships with evil people, then that's going to bring us to a place where we will suffer harm because we will be a companion of fools. Our most important relationships need to be God first, and then we look to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's where we get our strength, and then we can go out together to preach the good news to the people around us who don't know Jesus. Build relationships with all people. Love all people, but that does not mean you tolerate Lifestyle does not mean you tolerate sin, does not mean you hang out with sin. You know the old phrase, 
If you play with fire, you're probably going to get burned. That's the point. So don't play with fire, but you can have water wars with one another. That was, that was dumb. Uh, all right, so conclusion. Conclusion. Have you been made blameless in the sight of God through Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf? I already talked about this. I'm not going to uh, talk about it too much more other than to say that Jesus is the way to be truly blameless. That God can look at you and say you are righteous. I see you as righteous. I see you as blameless. I see you as a person of integrity. Not because of our power or our strength, but because of his sacrifice. And if you have not come to know Jesus as your Savior, you have not realized your need to have him be in your life, to be your life then today is the day to call upon Jesus. Ask him to save you. Repent of living for yourself and turn towards him in faith. That is the gospel. Uh, that is the response to the gospel that we must have. So that's a question we all need to ask. Have you been made blameless in the sight of God? If not, find, find someone. Talk to someone. Become a follower of Jesus. Next question, are you reflecting the blamelessness we have received through living lives of integrity? Are you today who are Christians, who have given your lives to Jesus, who have come to him in faith, that have received his grace of salvation, and that is true of your life, but are you reflecting that in the way you live, and are you living a life of integrity? A life that is whole and complete, single-minded, wholehearted. Are you living that life for God in front of others to see because he will be glorified and people will know Jesus as you show that around. But if you live a life that is not a life of integrity, a life that is full of rebellion and sin and anger and hatred, fill in the blank, and you are not reflecting God's character of justice and loving kindness, then you might need to think about what you need to do. You need to repent of that. Even as a Christian, we have to repent at times and turn away from going the wrong way and turn towards God again. Or maybe you need to consider whether you know Jesus at all in the first place. If you have no, if you have no encouragement to live a life of integrity. So let's all reflect God's integrity. Let us all reflect the blamelessness He's already given us in the way we live. And finally, are you guarding your integrity in your relationship choices? Are you guarding your integrity in your relationship choices? The people that are closest to you, are you guarding your heart? Are you guarding your integrity by making sure that as David was very clear here, that he was had nothing to do with those who are doing sinful things, he's not going to tolerate it. He's not going to live with sin and evil clinging to him. Don't let it cling to you anymore. So are you guarding your integrity and your relationship choices? These are some questions we can ask as we look at Psalm 101. I'm going to close with a verse of benediction and then I'll pray. But I'm going to turn over to Philippians chapter 4. And many of you know this verse very well. Philippians chapter 4 verses 8 through 9. This is Paul's encouragement to the Philippian church on how they should live. I think it's important for us today is what we just looked at. I'm actually going to go back to starting in verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace 
will be with you. Paul talks about this and he says, what is the life that we should live? It's one that ponders and thinks about whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. These are the things that we dwell on. This is the way we live and God's peace will be upon us. So with that being our last words today, let us close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for this reminder of what integrity is and how we can pursue you, that we can turn away from sin and evil that so easily will draw us down and destroy us. God, it's so tempting for us to walk in the ways of the world. It's so tempting for us to not walk with integrity. And yet, God, we know that you've bought integrity for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That through a death that we couldn't die and rising again to prove the power over sin and death that you hold, you have given us the opportunity and the right to be sons of God, to be heirs along with you, to live a life of integrity because you've made us people of integrity. Help us to live that way. Help us to reflect you on, in our situations in our life, in every person that we meet, every place we go. Lord, would you just allow us to reflect your character through our integrity? We need your help desperately. So, Lord, would you please help us to do that? Allow us to think upon all these things that we just read. It's good and honorable and excellent. Worthy of praise, Lord. Help us to remember these things. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. We'll see you next week.